Hi, everybody. Uh, we are back for uh, another episode here uh, on Facebook Live uh, right now. And I am joined by uh, my colleague and friend uh, from Pickering, Ontario, Jennifer O'Connell, who is the Member of uh, Parliament uh, for Pickering Uxbridge. Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. What an honor to be on your podcast slash Facebook Live. <laughs> um, Jen, the reason why I wanted to talk to you, um, you have, and especially in the wake of everything that's been going on with COVID-19, have really been uh, spearheading this idea. You're one of, uh, of a few MPs uh, in the GTA area who have been spearheading this idea about developing long-term care standards in um, our um, in, in long-term care homes. And it's interesting, it's an interesting idea, given the fact that long-term care is primarily regulated and legislated by the province, um, but uh, you're talking about long-term care standards uh, that are set nationally. Um, tell, tell me how you came up with the idea and what uh, kind of inspired you to take this on. I can't take too much credit in the sense that there were uh, five MPs in total. Actually, we kind of came together in the terrible circumstance that it was our five ridings that the Canadian Armed Forces were sent into the long-term care homes. And when that report was released, the five of us got together just in the sense of how devastating the information was the conditions our residents were living in. And we kind of just got together to talk about what should we do and where should we go with this. And it started first by advocating to the provincial government that they take immediate actions. But then as we were kind of talking about it, this idea and this common theme was that people really don't care what level of government is responsible for what. Um, when, you know, seniors in my riding, for example, were living with cockroaches in their facility or in soiled diapers for days on end. And so, or in Gary's riding right next door to mine, you know, not having enough food. And so it kind of becomes a national problem when any Canadian citizen is living in a situation like this. So we, of course, want to urge the provincial government to act, but we thought as federal representatives, what can we do? And when you look at healthcare, there are standards set by the federal government all the time through the Health Act. And, you know, long-term care was specifically not included in the Canada Health Act. And that's where we started thinking, maybe there should be a set of standards and guiding principles that, you know, provinces and territories can, of course, do more <laughs> than what a national standard would be but perhaps we need, you know, every province and territory in this country and a level of care that every citizen, no matter where they live. So like, are you saying, are you saying that they don't currently exist even within each province? Um, I think, I think each province and territory through their legislation, those would be the standards, but there isn't one set of principles or standards across the board. I think a lot of people would find that really interesting. But just to go back to something that you were talking about uh, earlier, um, you were talking about when the military went in and the um, state of which, you know, the report that they developed afterwards indicating the state in which they had they had seen um, and it was quite deplorable in, in some circumstances. Um, you know, what was your take? Like when, when you saw that, I don't think 
I think that the vast majority of people, unless they have somebody in a long-term care home, assume that you know, these are human beings and they're being taken care of in a humane way, but really the report suggested otherwise. What was your take on the report when you, you saw that? Yeah, I mean, I think every Canadian thinks that if somebody's living in a long-term care home, that they're gonna be treated with respect and dignity. Uh, my reaction to it, sadly, was actually not surprised. And the reason for that was because we had had family members sharing their stories. I think I was doing another Facebook Live like a week before the report came out with family members raising these issues, telling some of these stories. They had this huge Facebook group of a bunch of families from different long-term care homes sharing this information. And the sad thing was, is no one was listening and no one was reacting until the Canadian Armed Forces report came out and then it garnered a lot of media attention, of course, a lot of public outrage. But sadly, we had actually been hearing these stories um, for several weeks prior to that report coming out. So I think it was just validation for those families that um, what they were saying actually happened. Um, one of the things that I found really interesting, and I know that you were um, a former municipal uh, politician as well. So you're quite aware of the fact that municipalities in Ontario have to have their own, um, uh, their own uh, municipally run long-term care home. And so basically what you have in the province of Ontario, at least, is you have three different styles of long-term care homes. So you have a municipally one, uh, run long-term care home. You have not-for-profit long-term care homes. And then you have for-profit long-term care homes. And one of the stats that I found really interesting early on and may have changed since then, but the for every one death that there was from COVID-19 in a municipally one run a long-term care home, I think there were two in a non-for-profit and four in a private. And it really signaled like, you know, this is kind of like the, capital, the capitalist model that's taking over delivery of long-term care and it's just totally failed people. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on you know, you know, is it safe to say from that that the best model is a municipally one run? What are your experiences um, from pick, Pickering at least? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like I've struggled with this one because certainly the the knee jerk reaction has been, you know, the because it, it's been very clear that in all of the five uh, that were noted in Ontario anyways, they were all for profit. And so in the statistics you brought up, it's like it it kind of paints a clear picture, right? However, there are some, like there are several um, long-term care or um, seniors' homes, and some are for profit that are actually well run. And so, I think we have to look at. I, I heard an interesting kind of podcast actually on this topic. I think we have to look at the model itself, right? Like if um, if there are no standards or the standards or there aren't inspections to enforce those standards, then, you know, your profit margin is probably fairly tight in some of these places. So perhaps the answer isn't just like outright banning long-term care or for-profit model, yeah. but create standards. And perhaps it's not profitable for the private sector um, in that regard, right? Like in, in one of, in my 
the long-term care home mentioned in the report, um, PPE was under lock and key. You know, they had machine, like, you know, the necessary machines um, for patient care locked in the basement or not in, not in good working order. So it does raise a question around, you know, when those investments are needed. So I'm not sure I'm quite at the place of just ban all for-profit models because I do think there is a place for those who can afford some of um, the long-term care homes. Like we have a few in Pickering that are quite expensive. They're more seniors residences, but there are elements for long-term care. And, you know, if those models are working and people can afford them, but it's, I think the for-profit models for middle-class Canadians, for mm -hmm. kind of people who want to see their loved one being taken care of, but maybe can't afford one of the really high-end places. And then it makes you wonder, like, you know, where is the line between creating a profit and generating the care and service that they're supposed to be providing? I, I'm actually really glad that you mentioned that because, uh, you know, my take on it is, is that even though in that stat that I gave it a few moments ago, I say there are four deaths in the for-profit, but I don't want to lump all of the for-profit into one category because the reality is, is that there are some for-profits that I know in my uh, municipality in Kingston that are very, very expensive. And I'm mm -hmm. sure that the care there um, is different than the ones where a for-profit one, where they don't have the same, um, you know, the, the costs associated with them. So I think that, and I think this is to your point, there, there, there has to be something, you know, there has to be a lot of discrepancy between the for-profit ones themselves. And I think, you know, this goes back to what you're trying to do here, what you're setting out to do, which is to develop these national standards. Um, so that, you know, uh, even if uh, a province says, well, we're going to have our own standards, there's still a benchmark that they can be measured against. It's not within, it might not be within the federal government's purview um, to, to enforce those, uh, those standards, but it certainly sets a, a national benchmark by which individual provinces can be tested to later on um, when you know when things develop I think that the, that the numbers are just out, you know are, are outstanding when you you know when you when you start to look at the numbers and what's going on in long-term care homes um, according to report uh, released by the province not that long ago 308 outbreaks in long-term care homes um, uh, uh, 5158 cases of covid 19 of which 28 percent of those cases, the people ended up dying. So, you know, we talk about this stat um, in the general public where we say, well, it's, you know, 0.05% of a chance of dying if you get COVID. Uh, people in long-term care homes, their chances of dying, according to this information, is 28%. Of the 5,158 5, cases, 1,465 people have died. And, I, and it's absolutely staggering. So, I mean, I, personally, I think that your timing for this is, um, you know, spot on. We need to have some kind of standard. Uh, it's our parents and our grandparents that we're talking about here. So give me a sense as to what kind of policies you would see being put into into the standards 
Yeah. Um, well, the stats really help paint a picture just on that point. And also just to add to that, I think long-term care deaths represent like something like 80%. It might've changed now over the summer, but like 80% of Canada's overall deaths from COVID. So it should highlight, you know, where the issues are. Um, in terms of the policies moving forward, I think, well, I think there are two things here. We always hear about, sadly, you know, every once in a while in the media, we hear these awful stories that take place in long-term care homes, like whether it's here or sometimes we see them in the U.S. And it always sparks outrage. But then, you know, what happens after that? And then I think COVID has just, what COVID did was it really highlighted um, and it brought out some of the worst aspects of some of these policies that need to change. So whether it's, you know, first of all, their pandemic preparedness and training to have multiple people in a room when there's a highly contagious disease and pandemic going on, not to have employees trained on wearing PPE, going from a non, you know, COVID wing to a COVID wing, wearing the same PPE and back and forth. Um, so those are, I think, some obvious pandemic preparedness. But I think also we have to start thinking about, you know, what are we paying workers to work in these uh, long-term care homes? Because a lot of the issues too were some of the spread was, you know, these workers don't receive, you know, a fair wage in terms of the work they're doing. So they've had to work multiple locations. So when you have to work multiple locations, then you can spread um, some of this quite easily. So you have to look at, you know, what's, what are we paying personal support workers in some of these homes? I think we have to look at hours, right? That was in the report quite a bit in terms of, um, you know, people being overworked. And I think we have to look at also, I think in the report, there was a lot of talk too, you know, how many nurses were like registered nurses were on call or were present per how many patients were there, how many doctors were there, and just overall training. If we're not treating, or if we're not training the workers properly, then, you know, if, or there's, it's short staff, of course, you know, corners are going to be cut. And then, you know, I think there is a lot of conversation and discussion about what those right numbers are. I'm certainly not an expert in it, but I'd love to see whether it's our government or, um, you know, whether it's, a, whether it's a committee or a commission or really bring together experts. I don't pretend to know what all the policies should be, but I think this has been, you know, issues in long-term care have existed long enough and this has highlighted it. And I think we should bring those experts together to say, here are the best practices around the world. And these are kind of the standards. And again, provinces and territories can go further or municipalities or private homes can go further. But here's where you really reach your optimal level of care. And this should be the standard for anybody. So I think some of the issues around training, you know, pay for workers as well as, you know, uh, how many people are working at any given time are kind of the ones that really stick out. But there are probably so many more that uh, we can look at. And so just, you know, for people that aren't fully aware of how something like this would happen, what you're talking about is you're talking about the government uh, undertaking 
some form of uh, study, whether it's through a, a commission uh, to develop what these standards would be. You're by no means saying you know what they should be and they should be X, Y, and Z. And then you're saying the commission would report back. And then of course, before legislation would be adopted, it would go through a committee of parliament. And so there would be a ton of opportunity for Canadians, both professionals and uh, non-professionals to participate and to provide feedback into whatever those standards might be, right? And I also imagine that it would be um, an evolving document uh, as new standards are adopted, there would be a, a mechanism to adopt those, right? Exactly. I mean, I think the idea of a committee or commission or, or however it comes about, governments do kind of these sorts of things all the time. But I think it's also important to include the families as well, because what we hear all the time is that the families provide a huge amount of care. You know, oftentimes it's the family members who go in and change the sheets or make sure they have clean clothes or feed them or like dress their wounds and things like that. And so when COVID hit and family members who were providing a lot of this additional care weren't allowed in, I think this really, again, highlighted some of those staffing level issues and the staff will in all the reports, staff were working incredibly hard, but when you're understaffed and overworked and stressed out and don't know, even know what to do. Don't have, don't have the resort, the right resources. Yeah. Exactly. They don't have the equipment or it's locked up or they need to call a doctor to figure out the medication and nobody's answering. Like, you know, you, you do feel for them too. And so families provide a lot of additional support. And so hearing those stories and, and what they've seen, I think is going to be invaluable for, for the government as well. So um, we're live on Facebook right now and Parth and uh, Caitlin are monitoring the comments uh, and any questions. So I, I want to take an opportunity um, to check in with them and to see if uh, they've seen any question uh, pop up. Uh, uh, Parth, uh, anything uh, that uh, people are, are asking about uh, when it comes to long-term care standards? Yeah, so the first question comes from Robin, who's wondering, are there not inspections that would take place in all long-term care homes, regardless of ownership? The ratio of deaths in municipal versus private homes begs an, an investigation. Okay, so great question. Um, mm -hmm. Do inspections take place? Is this not already happening? So this is kind of a political question. So the answer is yes, inspections do take place, but it's up to the provinces and territories to determine that policy. Um, and this was one of the things that I know uh, got a lot of attention from the media certainly was that in Ontario, um, the Ford government changed their policy around inspections. And it, I think they changed to like a complaint base versus uh, what had happened previously, um, which was kind of these random inspections. And so I'm not going to say whether or not, you know, which system was better, but it certainly came out that I think only like six inspections had been done in the province prior to this in person. That was the other problem. What we found out about some of our long-term care homes is like, people were just calling for these inspections. Well, how can you know that PPE is being locked up if you just call? And so the answer, the short answer is yes, but should there be a, sta a national standard of what inspections look like? Because um, we certainly have seen from government to government, those things change. 
and cuts happen and then what happens? And so I'm not trying to be partisan in the sense of like, you know, one go government did it better than the other, because I think there are areas of improvement across party lines. But when you can see inspections being done over the phone or the sheer number of inspections go down to something like six um, in a province like Ontario, it kind of begs the question of like, how did we not see this coming? And so again, COVID exposed a lot that um, I think was probably problematic. And then this just blew up. See, like this is, I think that this is a great question because it can highlight one of the potential problems is that, uh, yeah, inspections take place. And I'm sure that to some degree inspections take place in every province and territory. But the thing is, is that this is, it's up to the provinces and territories to determine what triggers an inspection, how often they're done, what to look for, what thresholds are acceptable or not. And literally they could be all over the map, so to speak, in terms of each province handling and looking at things differently. And what you're talking about is you're talking about develop a set of standards and say, this is the, the benchmark. Uh, you know, when it comes to inspections, this is what you have to look for. This is how often you should be going. And then the provinces can take that and say, okay, well, this is a good benchmark, but we want to do a little bit more here. Um, or even if they want to do a little bit less than what it's, it, what is being suggested, uh, you know, at least, you know, yes, it's within their purview to do that, but they're being the, you know, they're, you know, they're being, they're on notice, so to speak, because there is a standard there, right? Well, I think then they have to justify it. So the, they're electorate, right? Like right. we're elected and the provincial governments are elected. They have to justify to their electorate now why they feel their standard is, you know, they don't need to meet the national standard. And there may be a case for it. I'm sure that when people made the case for, you know, changing the inspections, for one, it was prior to COVID. And I'm sure they had some justification for it. But, you know, perhaps that wasn't the best decision. Uh, I certainly wasn't, you know, as a federal member, not involved in any of those decisions. So I don't know the justification. But when you see something like this happen, you can immediately go, well, you know, perhaps inspections is an area that, <laughs> you know, we really need to do more of, or yeah. we need to know what is the best practice, what is the best way to do inspections, even if there is an outbreak, you know, in some fashion, something, you know, people need to be able to get in there and make sure things are being done properly. Yeah. Arth, uh, do you have another question? Yeah, Daryl is wondering, Kingston per capita has a large number of long-term care facilities. How many of these are municipal, private, and not-for-profit, Mark? So, um, they would, I don't know the total number of not-for-profits, but I can say that I know that the city has um, two. It has uh, Rideau Crest downtown and Fairmont, which is out uh, in Glen Burnie, out, out Montreal Street. Um, the reason why we have two is because they both existed before the city amalgamated. And when the city amalgamated, they ended up with two instead of the requirement, which is just one. But, um, and then I don't know which ones are for-profit offhand and not for profit uh, with I mean I know a few of them but I don't I don't have the list ex extensively uh, in front of me right now anything else uh, Parth yeah Jack is wondering 
if the federal government decides to implement national standards for long-term care homes, how long do you think it'll take until we actually see these changes? Yeah, Jen, what do you think? That's a good question. Well, for one, I think, uh, as Mark, you kind of said it earlier, it should be a living document, which I agree with, you know, um, in terms of as technology changes, as, you know, healthcare changes, I think standards should always do that. But in terms of getting, you know, to some level of standard, I would love to see, you know, obviously with, we're all concerned about second wave. And I think everybody was trying to think about in the short term, I think we should be thinking short term improvements, which should be somewhat obvious from, you know, some of the reports that were made. Um, we should have some medium term uh, standards and things that we're, we're looking at. And then the longer term, I think would be kind of those best practices. I don't know exactly, but Mark, like, you know, when we think about legislation, right, from committee or commissioning of, you know, whether you're bringing forward a task force, sometimes it can take a couple of years in terms of legislation. What I would really like to see, ideally, because this is technically provincial jurisdiction, um, I would love to see the federal government as we did, for example, um, how we ex ex expanded uh, the Canadian pension plan that was done through the responsible ministers meeting with their provincial counterparts and kind of coming together and they actually did it in a scale you know based on timelines of when it would be implemented and some of these things I would actually love if we were able to kind of come together with provincial counterparts and come up with some sort of agreement because that's going to speed things up um, and at the very least come up with maybe some short term, you know, fixes, even if that involves uh, some federal funding. But my position is, I personally don't think we should um, agree to funding until we have standards, right? Like I, as a, not only as an MP, but as a constituent myself, a taxpayer myself, I want to know that if taxpayers are helping to fund, especially these private for profit places that there's going to be accountability that there's going to be actual changes so I think if people come to the table and work with that end goal it will speed things up but in terms of like a full legislative cycle if we don't have partnership I mean that can take you know a year or two depending on the political climate but like I said I think there's opportunities for short medium and long term and the long term would be that kind of guiding principle document that could evolve and change over time and whether it falls under the health act or just something completely separate, you know, that's kind of how I would envision it from a legislative standpoint. Well, um, Jen, uh, what's next in terms of, uh, the, the process for this. So, um, you know, somebody was just asking about the timelines, how long, like, what has the reception been like when you've been out there promoting the idea? Have you got any pushback on it? Um, where do things stand in your opinion? Yeah. Well, I think from like certainly a community standard, uh, I think everybody thinks this is kind of a no brainer, you know, residents, families who have been impacted and just regular Canadians who go, you know, that could be me, that could be my family member. From, a, you know, a political standpoint, uh, you know, we obviously were, were advocating for several things from, uh, to the provincial government. 
the first thing we really wanted was a full public inquiry. So far, they've only done a commission, but the family members really think a full public inquiry, similar to something like Walkerton that everybody remembers, is really the only way to get to the bottom of it. And then you can't find the solution until you truly understand the problem. Um, so that's a little bit disappointing. I think from the federal government perspective, I think, you know, as a caucus member, we've been kind of advocating uh, amongst other MPs, amongst government members, just saying like, this is really something we want. As liberals, we've been working on, you know, some policy, like a formalized policy for consideration by the liberal party. So I think for us, it's, you know, even if there are short-term fixes, we think that this is really something that COVID or not needs to move forward. And so any pushback, I would say, from that kind of creation of a national standard, I think it's just that question of jurisdiction, which I understand, right? Like the federal government um, has to respect jurisdiction. But I think there's a place for us to set a leadership role it doesn't take away from provinces and territories to govern themselves and regulate uh, these homes, but it's giving this kind of reassurance that no matter where you live in this country, if you have a family member or find yourself in a long-term care home, that there's a level of dignity that you're going to be able to live with. And I think um, the prime minister said it kind of best when the news first broke from the uh, CAF report was, uh, you know, we as a society need to really think about how we treat our seniors in the last days of their lives. And so having that serious reflection um, is where we need to kind of find a way to find a solution to some of the jurisdictional issues because it's Canadians living in these homes and uh, if, you know, we as a society need to step up and find some solutions. All right. Thanks, Jen. I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, once again, uh, for everybody, uh, that's Jennifer O'Connell, a member of Parliament for Pickering Uxbridge. So thanks, Jen. Um, and I, I keep pushing on this because uh, most, uh, most of us are behind you, that's for sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me on this forum to get the word out. <laughs> Take care. Bye.